Before we get started with the show, I wanted to remind you that the Phase 2 cover letter course is available. If, unfortunately, you only got one or two interviews and you're just not sure that it's going to happen, or maybe you, unfortunately, didn't get any interviews at all. But one thing that I know that many of you have asked me for help with is the presentation. And I do help those that are in the interview course with their PowerPoints and making sure that those PowerPoint presentations are what they need and obviously that they're accurate. But also, uh, there's a lot of things that I can help you with in terms of what should go here and what should go there. But the one thing that comes with that is you're going to make your presentation. They're going to ask you some questions. How do you answer things on your feet? And what Corey Jinks does is a great job of explaining the process of answering questions on your feet, just going for it, just no hesitation, because if you hesitate, all of a sudden doubt kind of creeps into your mind, not only in the people that are watching you, but also in yourself. Or if you canned your presentation, that is you prepared every single moment of it and you can't remember a small part of it, it derails you. So Corey gives a number of tips on exactly how to do those presentations and how to think on your feet, but also demonstrate that empathy that's so important uh, with his new book that we talk about as well. So enjoy the show. Hey, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm here with Corey Jinks, who is a pharmacist and improv comedian speaker and author, and his book just came out on Kindle uh, last week, well, actually a couple days ago, uh, and will be coming out in hard copy and uh, print as well. Uh, So welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here, uh, recording this bright and early here. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) if you guys don't know, it's um, so it's 745 in the Midwest, and I completely spaced that it would be a little bit earlier probably in Arizona. Um, Uh, So we'll talk about his journey. Um, a little bit. So, um, Corey, tell us a little bit about, you know, where you did go to pharmacy school. You're about a decade into your career. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm a double decade into my career, so we'll be able to kind of compare and contrast a little bit. Uh, But most of the people listening are just about to start their residency career. So they'd be especially interested in how did you get a residency? uh, How did you like residency? And how did you turn residency into a job? Yeah, so I used to be a new grad, so I could be rele- relevant to the to the young kids listening. But uh, <laughs> I, I graduated pharmacy school from the University of South Carolina in 2011, and I'm originally from Tucson, so I obviously made the logical choice to go across the country for undergrad in pharmacy school. <laughs> yeah. I love me some lo- I love me some student loans and out of state tuition, but no, I'm I'm a proud Gamecock. But uh, after my time there, I realized I really liked home, which is Tucson, so I. I wanted to come home. I knew I wanted to do a residency. And I guess looking back that, you know, decade plus since then to get into a residency for me meant I, I really put a lot into pharmacy school beyond grades. I mean, I got good grades, but I was active in different organizations, made connections with preceptors who wrote me letters of recommendation. So making sure that I was a little bit more outgoing and get, getting involved in that, um, under, in that pharmacy school experience to make me competitive. And also like, for, honestly, it made pharmacy school more fun. The more I got involved, it wasn't just, you know, living test to test. There was events and organizi- organizing different things. And I would also say part of this was cultivating other interests and skills and hobbies besides pharmacy, which was one of the best pieces of advice I actually got in my last rotation, which was an academic rotation. Uh, the assistant dean 
Uh, shout out to Dr. Wayne Buff at the University of South Carolina. You know, he said, next week is your last week on rotation before you graduate. I'm going to have some advice for you next week. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. He's going to give me the secret to pharmacy. Yeah. And I show up and I said, all right. He's like, all right, I got the advice for you. And it's like, okay, what was it? Pharmacology? Is it? And he's like, find a hobby. I was like, what? No, I've been doing this for six years. And he was known for his, his gardening and flowers. That was his hobby. And I like, it didn't really sink into me, but anyway, I graduated kind of put that in the back of my head. And I'd always had this little interest in comedy, but anyway, I came, came back home, got uh, applied for residency at the VA here in Tucson, Arizona, where I did my residency and uh, stayed on after I was done again, while during my residency, made sure I was really involved, worked well with the preceptors, tried to just not be a pharmacy robot, but to, to really enjoy the time there. I hung out with my preceptors and co-residents outside of pharmacy, again, cultivating those non-pharmacy interests and when the time came to finish my residency and go look for a real job, there was a job that was like a non-super clinical one there at the VA, but it was a foot in the door. And I said yes to it. And since that time, I, you know, I took that, they, they hired me on. And since that time, I think I, jo- I joke uh, that I've done about every different job at the VA here in Tucson, including landscaping and uh, teaching fight club. <laughs> so we, uh, we have a, a disruptive behavior class that I I teach. So that's the joke is I teach fight club. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's my journey. And, and along the way, I, I think, again, cultivating those interests outside of pharmacy. So my I, on awesome preceptors as far who are pharmacists, but also that I play golf with that we play sports with play kickball, do all these different activities. And so that I think led to a richer experience and made me want to stick around there. And I think I, I will, <laughs> I, I will, I guess to my home a bit, but when someone's hiring you, they're hiring you because they want to work with you. And I guess they decided that I was someone they'd, they'd want to have stick around and work with. So that's, that's the, the nuts and bolts of my, of my pharmacy school and residency journey. Now it's been a decade and I've worked in, as I said, inpatient, outpatient, ambulatory care, which I do now. So I've been bounced all around the place. Okay. Uh, well, I feel like when, when somebody thinks, oh, he's a comedian, it was somebody that wasn't good in school. So he used comedy. But I think, didn't you have like a perfect 4-0 before going into I, pharmacy school? I did. I, I had a, I, you're, you're putting me on the spot here as a, as a nerd, but yeah, I had a 4-0 <laughs> in undergrad and I got a 4. I'll say it. I, I earned it, I guess. Like at the time I'm like, oh man, I want to get these perfect grades. And I'm almost like ashamed. Like I should have gone to like more concerts and maybe got like a 3-8 and 3-9. It would have been fun. But yeah, I had a 4-0 in undergrad in pharmacy school. And there was actually, speaking of comedy, there when I was an undergrad, there was an improv comedy group at University of South Carolina that I went and watched with my friends. And I'd always enjoyed comedy. And it was like, I was blown away. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could do this. But then I was like, no, I got to be a pharmacist. So I got to go to the library. I can't, don't, no, no time for these extracurricular uh, activities uh, aside from the intramural sports that I play. So uh, it was really, I was a good student uh, and I enjoyed like making little jokes to my friends next to each other in class. But uh, I was hyper-focused on the pharmacy path, which I'm, blessed at the, the place I'm at now with my career, but I think there is something to be said about enjoying the journey a little bit more, uh, looking back along the way. Yeah. I think that, um, it's, it's always, you know, either, or, but it sounds like you, you did a great job of making it both. And, and what I do want to do though, is, is kind of talk about your, your book, which, uh, came out a couple of days ago and talk a little bit about, um, how, uh, I want to talk specifically about chapter eight and then chapter nine and Mm -hmm. chapter eight's titled go deeper not wider because when everything's a priority nothing's a priority Mm -hmm. and so it's although it sounds like you're making more than one thing a priority 
Uh, pharmacy school was clearly the priority at the 4.0 and, and all that. But mm-hmm. so was your own mental health, I guess you could call it, by having a hobby, by having other things. So can you take us through chapter eight and uh, give us a little bit of a summary and then kind of go over uh, how you do that? How do you go deeper uh, into a specific thing that you want to be known for, uh, but then mm-hmm. also maintain that mental health balance? Yeah, and I, I think this is just, we, can't, we don't have enough time to get into the weeds of, of improv comedy, but chapter eight's a lot about this concept uh, as an improviser, and just as a quick background, improv comedy is a form of comedy where everything is made up on the stage, so it's not like a stand-up comedian where I have jokes, I get up on a, with, a, with a team, get a suggestion, and we try to make things up that are funny. And one of the concepts is, is going deeper, not wider, which is the whole goal is to, as we're creating this thing out of thin air, identify one interesting, funny thing, and then explore it. Uh, versus a lot of times when we get on stage with someone who's new, we try to make things up. We really try to be funny. And so the way I relate this to healthcare is I think we've, we both work uh, in a world where there's a bunch of competing priorities. And so if we're able to identify one, two, maybe, you know, at the most three really important things, whether it's for me working with a diabetes patient, making an intervention saying, you know, trying to change everything right now, would lead to failure because you might be overwhelmed. But if we could focus on one or two things to do really well, that's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. Um, and the same is with any sort of initiative coming down from management in, in, in a pharmacy. If there's a million competing priorities, then nothing's going to get done. And so what, I, what I've done in my career and what I've as applying this, this idea as an improviser is let's pick one or two things that I really want to focus on to do really well, uh, not ignoring the other options completely. But like, for example, I, I love comedy. So I've been doing this journey where I wrote this book, where I go and speak to organizations. I have my, my day job. I have two toddlers, which is awesome, but they take a lot of time. And I have a lot of other interests outside that I've just had to say, well, I would love to develop a metabolic health practice, you know, to help with diabetes, but I can't do that right now because I'm writing a book and, and that's okay. Just being at peace with, I'm going to go really deep into a couple of things and do them, do them as well as possible. And I think that also helps with the mental health and wellness side of things, because when you have a thousand plates you're spinning or juggling, a, whatever metaphor you want to use, spinning plates <laughs> sure. or juggling things in the air, uh, you're, you can't focus on anything. And I think we get frazzled and fall into some of the, the bad habits and bad habit loops that we can get into. So, and that's what I've really tried to take from the stage into my career, into the side hustle that I'm doing. Okay, well, we hear a lot about imposter syndrome as students try to go towards residence and even residents in residency, the first couple of months, they're like, how did I get accepted? I, I don't belong here. Um, what is going on? I, I, I just had in my head that, you know, it'd be kind of a curriculum it'd work out and uh, the fire hose of knowledge uh, just hits them right in the face. Mm-hmm. But tell me a little bit about chapter nine and, and going forth and you have kind of a neat, uh, you know, two minute thing on kind of change the accent, best place that you would want a vacation, things like that. But I think a lot of times students will apply to a couple places that they feel are safe uh, for mm-hmm. residency, but uh, won't go, you know, that extra, well, it's going to be a waste of money, which is kind of a sour grapes way of putting it. But, oh yeah. man, well, I'd have to pay an extra, you know, 30 bucks to, to apply to that one. And they'll never accept me anyway. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you're saying, well, actually do the opposite and kind of just kind of go for it and, and see where you go from there. But tell me a little bit about chapter nine and getting out of your own head and, and just kind of going forward. 
Yeah, I think pharmacists, pharmacy students, pharmacy residents, listen, if you're listening to this, uh, you, uh, imposter syndrome is real. Like I felt the same thing when I graduated pharmacy school. I sometimes still feel it. I'm 10 years into this thing. And I talk to people that have been doing it 30 years and they're still like, I don't know how they hired me or how I'm still doing this. So I think that doesn't always <laughs> yeah. go away. But pharmacists, if you're listening to this, you're smart, you're good. I, I can't emphasize this enough. I thought it was a cliche when people would come talk to our pharmacy class and say, you guys are way smarter than us. You don't even have an idea. And now I'm 10 years into it. I'm like, oh my gosh, these student pharmacists coming through with these residents, like they're, you guys are really good and you're really smart. So please accept that. Uh, but pharmacists, because we're smart, we like to really think things. We like to overthink things. We like to analyze things and we yeah. can get this paralysis by analysis. And I, I think that's something I struggled with early in my career. And I, like I graduated in 2011, finished residency in 2012. I started doing improv in 2013. And one of the tenets of improv is, is you just got to live in the moment and just go. We call it follow your foot. If you're thinking about doing a line or stepping into a scene and your foot twitches, that means you need to go and just do it and don't think too much about it. And I think that, like, I'm not saying don't ever think about what we're doing when you're practicing. Of course, we have to like be safe and, and follow the guidelines and use our knowledge. But whether it's making an intervention with a limited amount of data and just going with the best, your best recommendation based on the limited data that we can have, or whether you're worried about, oh, if I apply to this residency, they might not accept me. If you think of something like $30 in the span 10 years later, it's, it's something that could be literally life-changing. And so with improv, like our, our, our main thing is to say yes, to say yes and, and to just go. And so we, it, with that imposter syndrome, we get a lot of self-judgment and that the, what I've learned is to, if you can just live in the moment, help to you know, acknowledge that fear, but just go. Uh, because when you just go and you stop thinking, you're even if the answer that you you're trying to provide isn't the the quote right answer, you're going to learn from it uh, more than if you just sit in your head and overthink it. Like I distinctly remember, I had one of my best students ever. We would go through cases, and 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 I would she would be unsure of something, and I would say, just give me your best plan that you would do for this patient, or give me the best answer for what you think this medicine would do. And I loved working with her because she would give totally wrong answers. And I'd say, oh, we wouldn't do that, but here's why, and here's what, how we would learn. And that's like, that's where you learn and get those rich life experiences as well. So um, it's, it's easy to say hard to do. And I think the, the longer you practice, the, the older you get, the, the easier it is to see, but that's really the, the philosophy that I try to try to do is to get out of my own head and just go forth. Cause then you're going to learn something, get a reaction and then keep moving forward with that new information. Yeah, I've heard tech startups and uh, when they talk about things, they're like, we're not failing fast enough. We need to fail faster. We need to get through these iterations so that we can do it. And I think that, uh, you know, having that kind of mindset of, okay, it's okay to fail. It's okay to, you know, that's why we're here. We're here to learn. Yeah. But let's kind of go backwards. Uh, many students want to have a publication. Uh, and mm -hmm. I've even worked with one student to have a, you know, have them write a, a small book. But let's mm -hmm. talk about actually becoming an author and, uh, how you not only carve out the time to do it, but mm -hmm. how did you come to the title? Because that's always, always tough, but permission yeah. to care, building a healthcare culture that thrives in chaos. So how did you start as an author? How did you come to the title and, and kind of get through the process? Yeah. So I'll, yeah, I'll start with how did I become an author? And so this, this goes back to that idea of just go, we just talked about. So 2020, beginning of 2020, I had 2019, I'd done my first speaking engagement that where I got compensated for it, which was really cool. And I was like, all right, 
2020, I'm going to go out, I'm going to do some more speaking, maybe do it for free, get some footage, start to build a, a client list, build some testimonials. And then I think we all know what happened in 2020, you know, yeah. COVID hits and this yeah. idea of like being a professional speaker, it's like the, no one will get this reference because you're all too young, but the record scratch. Uh, so, uh, so I, I guess the choice there was I could sit and wallow in my frustration and this thing beyond my control, or I had, I had been jotting down ideas and had a rough outline of like, Oh, it'd be cool to write a book about this and idea of like writing blog posts or, or articles. And so the time that I was going to be spending emailing prospective people to talk, uh, to speak with, that I would be going out on the road and speaking, I said, let's write a book. Let's use this time, this thing that's, you know, this the bad thing that's COVID and use it to an advantage to have this book written so that when the time comes and I'm, and I'm ready to write a, to publish a book, I'll have a draft. And so that's how I decided to write the book. And really it was a lot of, I had at the time, uh, just one kid. Uh, my, my second kid was born in June, 2020. So right in the middle of, of the pandemic, oh, but um, you know, the time between end of work and picking him up from daycare, I get 20 minutes. Well, I, I think we all like as an author, I would love to go secluded in the woods for like a week and just pound out my book. That's not an option. So 20 minutes, I really had to learn to turn the focus on, write as much as I could. Uh, just go again, get, getting everything out without the judgment of the self of like, this is a stupid idea. Why, do I, why would I write this? Just like get the ideas out. And so by, the, by June or July of 2020, I had the manuscript and then got connected with a publisher uh, in 2021 and was able to send them the whole draft manuscript. So I was able, you know, I wasn't like I had to start from scratch when I was ready to write the book. And the goal as a speaker too, for me is I want to establish myself as the expert on this. And there's not a ton of pharmacist improv improvisers. <laughs> so uh, really quarter in the market there. And then <laughs> the, uh, the idea of permission to care, building a healthcare culture that thrives in chaos, I really have to give my publisher a lot of credit. Uh, the, the brainstorming process for coming up with the title was probably one of the most painful parts of my book, because I, I think I have a Google document of like 80 proposed titles and none of them were permission to care, building a healthcare culture that thrives in chaos. <laughs> but this is again, the lesson I hope your listeners take is it's, I had 80 bad titles, but those 80 bad titles helped to inspire my publisher and, and their team to come up with the, I think was, I was blown away when they came up with the title because with permission, the, the, the main title, permission to care, I think we get into healthcare because we want to take care of patients. Uh, I will say we run into a lot of red tape as pharmacists and healthcare professionals as well. And uh, improv comedy our, our main rule, if you learn nothing listening to this, is that yes and is the main role. We agree and we build together. And we get a lot of no's in healthcare. And so a lot of times we just want to do the right thing for our patient, but that culture doesn't allow that, that yes to happen. So we, I want to build a culture that gives us permission to actually care for our patients. And then building a healthcare culture that thrives in chaos, uh, if COVID hasn't taught us anything, is that we, we control way less than we like to think we do in healthcare. And so the chaos will always be there, whether you're working an inpatient and there's a code blue, whether you're myself in Amcare and a patient comes in who hasn't eaten in four days and is homeless. And so diabetes is the last thing that they care about. They just want somewhere to live and somewhere to eat. There's always going to be chaos. So rather than trying to control the chaos, we're, which, which I think a lot of pharmacists were very left brain type A, we like to have things a certain way. And yeah. I, I've been that way in my life. The sooner you can, you can give up that control and embrace that the chaos shall happen. Uh, is the moment you can thrive uh, because when you can accept that this is beyond our control and you develop the tools to roll, you know, the roll with the punches uh, kind of cliche is true. And think of the, for you, the students and other pharmacists and doctors you work with that just seem unflappable. 
are, are the ones that are probably like, you know, this is just another day uh, versus I think a lot of the anxiety and frustration comes from like, well, it should be this way, but it will never be the way. <laughs> like someone will always call it sick. So there's always going to be a drug shortage. So we might as well just accept it and do our best. And I think that's where that secondary title came from for the book, because it provides a lot of the tools, both from a management and culture standpoint and an individual standpoint to deal with that. Awesome. Okay. So we've kind of gone through a little bit about residency, a little bit about the book, but let's talk about public speaking. I think that uh, when students are going in for their residency interviews, they're thinking, okay, about the interview interview part. And uh, they forget that the case is maybe a third and then the presentation is a third. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you have um, for a student doing a presentation? And then maybe talk about how you've talked to some student groups before. And maybe you could, uh, you know, uh, I, I've talked to SNAFA. I think I was at the national meeting this year um, talking mm-hmm. about residency. And then uh, a couple of, of the uh, honor societies. Uh, I've talked to them as well uh, about getting a residency. But if you can talk specifically about succeeding in a presentation to a bunch of people who are a little bit further than you or a lot further than you in their journey and kind Mm -hmm. of not being intimidated by that and just understanding that this is your place. They just want to see that you're going to be able to present to the staff, the nurses, the physicians and the other pharmacy staff there. Yeah, I think that that is the, the public speaking. And when we get our new residents every year, that's one of the biggest things that are on their to improve on list or wish list to get better at. And I think the success in any presentation and having participated in resident interviews is owning whatever it is you're presenting. Uh, because no one know, I, even though people are further along in their journeys than you are presenting, think of the time and effort you've put into any presentation. And I remember doing a presentation for a job interview and like, you're the expert I say own, own that expertise. Uh, also enjoy it. Like you think of this amazing opportunity you have to share this harder knowledge that you worked so hard on to, sh- to share with this group of, of, of strangers who will hopefully be coworkers. Um, I help precept our CE presentations for our residents. And that's what I try to get across is an hour long talk seems super daunting, but I say, you, you're, you, you've studied this more than anybody. And so if you can own it and it sounds crazy to say, but enjoy it. Uh, you, you have worked so hard to get to this spot. And yes, the, the stakes are high for, for what you'd like to do in your career. But th- that again, goes back to this idea of, of chaos and being beyond your control. All you can control is what you are going to, how you're going to present yourself. And I think that some of the best interviews I've experienced are, are people that aren't presenting at me. They're talking to me, they're having a conversation. And that's, that's what I get across to student groups as well is, that we have this, this knowledge and I'm, we're, we're on zoom. So I'm looking at myself in the, in the, yeah. in the video, but like you have this stuff here in your brain, I'm pointing at my head. I have to point a lot because my brain's kind of tiny compared to all these <laughs> students, but uh, you have all this stuff in your brain. Uh, but a lot of times you're not able to communicate it with your mouth. I'm flapping my mouth here uh, to make people care about it in their heart. And because you're, you're wrote, you're, you're rolling stuff off robotically. Like you've memorized it word for word. Um, I'm an improviser. I hate scripts. I also like, as a pharmacist, I don't like demeaning the profession by calling prescription scripts. So I, I, ha- I have a vendetta against the word script. So I think being relaxed and being able to not trying to have the big beats of what you're trying to say, but if you're locked into word for word, the moment you like mess up a word, you freak out because you're like, oh crap, how, where, where do I find myself? So having that ability to, to have the big picture you're trying to present and then like try to smile when you present too, <laughs> like I have a lot of people. Like a lot of times you see people presenting and they have the, like the deer in the headlights look. 
But when you're presenting to nurses, doctors in your careers, have a conversation with them, see each other as equals and try to have that audience perception as equal as well. Yeah. I've heard the, if you're happy and you know, it, tell your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before, but I am going to, okay. <laughs> I'm going to tell my, my four-year-old that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, they've, they've told me that. Cause you know, I'll come home and they're like, if you're happy. And you know, I was like, Oh, all right. I'm not mad at you. It's not you. It's not you. At yeah. All. Okay. Right. All right. So, well, let's talk about um, a little bit about maybe a presentation that you've done uh, and talk a little bit about the, the nuts and bolts of it and uh, who would benefit specifically from presentations that you've done or that you can do. Yeah. So I, I have a few different presentations I do. I have uh, a keynote address that I give that I've given to a number of pharmacy organizations. And I think that's a really great way to kick off a conference because it goes through the, the, the focus of building an adaptable, empathetic, and humanizing healthcare experience that I think any organization is probably dealing with some level of burnout. And what I, what I do with that talk is go through a little of the background of improv comedy, but then a lot of stories with patients and family members of creating a great healthcare experience, because I think that that is something that is within our control. We don't get to control the diagnosis of, of what happens to, to our patients always, but we can always provide them an amazing experience that, uh, even on their worst day, we can make it, you know, hurt a little bit less. Uh, and then I have a couple of presentations that are more hands-on workshops. So that keynote, uh, like I said, I've kicked off a couple of, of conferences, done some general sessions, and it's really well received, a lot of fun to, for the audience. But then I have a couple of, of presentations that are a little bit more hands-on where I give some background. Uh, we learn a quick, we do a quick improv lesson. Uh, I'll do some literature. There's actually literature su to support the use of improv comedy in healthcare training. So pharmacists uh, love evidence-based medicine. So I do evidence-based comedy and then we get the audience. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. just wrapping my head around it. <laughs> yeah. Evidence-based comedy. I, I nerded, I nerded comedy up as much as I could. <laughs> so, um, but and I think uh, again, I've done, I have a couple of different ones that are more hands-on ones, a uh, improv RX one-on-one where I just do a quick 10 minute overview of improv and we just spend the rest of the time playing together. And then I do uh, putting yes and to work. And that one is a little bit more of the evidence-based uh, uh, presentation. And again, we still get hands-on and get to play. And I think for, for student organizations, they love the hands-on stuff. Uh, I've done the hands-on for other large professional organizations. And there's a, I, I say I got to give props to students who are much more open-minded when I'm starting this uh, to get people to volunteer. But once, even with the, with the professional organizations, for people who have been working for 10, 20 years, once we get going, uh, what I love seeing is the amount of smiles on faces uh, for people who are doing things that are uncomfortable to do. So we go back to that, that failure, that fear of failure. Uh, improv is wonderful because there is no such thing as failure. There are no mistakes. There are only gifts. So everything that is said, we see as a gift that we can turn and build and uh, turn into an amazing scene. And that's the, 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 the atmosphere I really try to create with my talks is I think that we, again, I'm not discounting the fact that we need to get things right when we're doing pharmacy. But I think, especially for students, you're so worried about grades. Mr. 4.0 over here uh, was super <laughs> hyper-focused on grades. And so to then go into an improv class after eight, seven, eight years of training and be told, you say yes, and there's no wrong answers, was like training and mind-blowing. And so I think that's where students and, and those of us practicing for a long time get a nice, like, breathe a sigh of relief because you can go and try a thing that's hard that's going to help you grow, but not have you worry about the, the, the consequences of that interaction whatsoever. Okay. So 
um, I want to kind of dive into the details of um, ambulatory care. So we've kind of gone through your journey, but now mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about being a competent ambulatory care pharmacist. I know that uh, many of the people that listen are thinking, should I do a PGY2 in ambulatory care? Should I get board certified? Um, mm -hmm. How in the world uh, do I get these patients to take their medicine. I mean, it just seems pretty simple. You'll get better. If you take the medicine, you'll take mm -hmm. it. Right. And it just doesn't, doesn't work that way. Uh, my mm -hmm. wife also works for the, the VA in a, a bit of a different role, but yeah. tell me a little bit about how you've developed your competence over the last decade. Uh, although you've worked in many different areas mm -hmm. uh, that particularly ambulatory care. Yeah, I think the, the competence in ambulatory care is, is twofold. I think obviously you need to know the nuts and bolts of the disease states and the medications you're using for those disease states. So I'm primarily doing diabetes, hypertension, uh, smoking cessation, and some, uh, some lipid management. And so I've become, independent of my comedy career, I've really dove into on my free time, the, the science behind metabolic health and lifestyle interventions, as well as, as, well as uh, the medications. So one, you got to know your stuff. Like I have the Amcare board certification. So that objectively means I'm, I'm qualified. So I think that's a big part of it. But I think the thing that you mentioned other, otherwise, the, well, if you just take your medicines, you'll get better. Well, not everyone wants to take medicines or they'll take them sometimes. And so I think a big part of the ambulatory care competence and something that I think really drew me after my time as an inpatient pharmacist, realizing I really like talking to patients is something that I'll, again, I'll say I learned on an improv stage is, is to find their why or their want. So every patient has a want, maybe it's to be left alone. Maybe it's to, to be able to see their kids graduate from, from high school or college. Maybe it's to still be able to eat ice cream and have their blood sugars under control. So a lot of that involves developing the rapport with your patients, being able to quickly connect with them. And I think that's something where I feel more confident in my ability to, to converse with patients. And, and to me, that means how, making like that presentation discussion we had, making it a conversation and not a like, I'm telling you, this is what you have to do. Cause I have patients where we're going to talk about their, their pigs, their chickens in their garden. I have patients where I talk about their YouTube channel. I have patients where I talk about football, but amongst those conversations is where I'm dropping in the, Oh, when you watch football, your blood sugars are higher. What are you eating when you watch football? Uh, oh, football season's over. Oh, NASCAR starting. Okay, great. Well, we need to deal with this. And like, <laughs> they, they just want to sit and watch football on Sundays. Okay, great. Well, six days a week, we're going to be fine. What are we going to do on that other day? And, and meeting the patient where they are. And I think that's what I enjoy about the, the challenge of, of ambulatory care is, is having that uh, unique situation with every patient that walks through the door that I call on the phone uh, to not only be doing the medication management, but a lot of, a lot of human management as well. Well, I guess I'm just uh, kind of taken aback by the <clears throat> how, how the, the, the job itself should be so straightforward, but it takes so much going outside of pharmacy to make the connection with the patient. And then, then you can kind of come back to the medicine, but if you don't go outside to that part of it, then you kind of lose them uh, many times. And then it's just, uh, it's just over, I think. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit now about the VA itself um, as much as you can or can't tell me. But I know that many people really, really look at it as a VA as kind of the, the pinnacle of, of being able to practice at the top of their license, uh, that the VA, the rules are kind of a little bit different at the VA in terms of your ability to, to do certain things, mm -hmm. uh, especially since you don't really, 
you, you could have had a South Carolina license, right? And still practice at the VA. Correct. Right? Yeah. 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 But tell me yeah. a little bit about the VA system itself and, and what they're looking for when they're looking for a future resident. Yeah, I think the VA is, is great and it's unique and it's, very, it's, it's a highly coveted place to work. Uh, is it Pharmatopia? No, but no place is Pharmatopia. Uh, there's <laughs> no that. perfect place to work. Uh, but I think when we're looking at the VA, uh, the unique thing is that I think pharmacists get to do, what I do is I can prescribe medicines. I'm, I am the provider on that prescription model. Uh, that's not something that you can see in a lot of other settings. Uh, I think, and it could vary facility to facility. I know with ours, like the, there is the, the, when the pharmacist isn't there, the, the teams are like, well, what's going on? I need my pharmacist. And, and I think you, you get to play a really integral part of the, the medication and healthcare process at the VA. And so when we're, I think when the VA is looking for someone and I'm not the, I'm not a hiring manager at the VA. I'm just a, just a simple pharmacist who does comedy sometimes, but, okay. uh, but I think what we're looking for are, are those folks that of course you got to have that clinical knowledge, but and this could be the VA or anywhere is it goes back to, do I want to work with this person? Is this going to be a good fit for the team? Are they a good team player? Uh, I think having that ability to, to, to be a good team player, to communicate well, um, I think lowering your own ego is something that is important. I think pharmacists are really elevated at the VA, but sometimes that intervention needs to come from the physician and that's okay. Or the nurse notices something and that's okay. Uh, for me, I think that's a big part of being a successful pharmacist anywhere, but uh, looking, looking for those that can use that clinical knowledge, communicate it, uh, and, and have that patience too uh, with, with our population that, can, that has served our country and had, a lot of, uh, had to go through a lot and, and being able to have an empathy uh, for, for those who are struggling with whatever downward effects of their service could be. Okay. So I've asked you a bunch of questions. Uh, is there anything that we haven't covered that you would want to tell um, the audience out there? Uh, mostly people trying to become residents, those that are mm -hmm. residents, RPDs, uh, uh -huh. and then uh, some students who are, are thinking, should I do residency? Should I not? Yeah. Uh, I think that you got to follow your instinct and follow your gut. So whether you're thinking about doing a thing or you're thinking of hiring someone, uh, we have all these objective measures, but I think it, it, and it, I think it comes down to, does your gut say you want to do a residency? My advice is if you're thinking about it, just go and do it. If you're going to be a new grad, because you're, you're still in that mode of learning and you're still in that kind of school mode. Uh, go, I, we've had people that have been practicing for years that have come back and done a residency and done great. But my, my opinion is to follow your instinct and do it. And also I think do something that you care about. Uh, don't do something because you, someone said, well, this will be a, an in-demand specialty or an in-demand thing. Like, like I wouldn't, I, oncology is amazing for those who do it. Uh, I would never, I won't say never. It is not something I see myself wanting to do. Uh, so, so, but if, if someone's like, well, oncology will be a really in-demand thing. Don't do it because someone says that. Do it because you really want to make an impact with, um, with, your, uh, with your career. And also I, I would say, don't be afraid to try things. Like I, like I said, I've had like so many jobs uh, because I couldn't figure out what it is I wanted to do. And ultimately I'm like, my clinical specialty is comedy. Like, no. so, <laughs> okay. uh, and that's okay. Like, don't be afraid to be a little unique too. Um, because I think that's something that when I, when I'm talking to a prospective resident, prospective person I might be working with, when I hear that they've done, like they've ran with the bulls or they've 
managed a, a fast food restaurant. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. And I'm sure you learned a lot of really great life skills that'll be applicable to whatever job you're going to be doing. So don't be afraid to, to show that unique side of yourself and to do things outside of pharmacy as well. Like my, that amazing advice I got was have a hobby. It's okay. I think that those hobbies, you never know how they'll help cultivate your career and send you in a path. Like for me, Rick, writing a book, like I would never have thought I would have written a book about comedy and healthcare, but here I am talking about it with you this morning. And it's pretty cool. So um, the, the, it shall unfold, not as you think it will, but I think it'll be, it'll be fun. So don't be afraid to have some fun, try new things and follow that, follow that instinct. Awesome. Well, the book is Permission to Care, Building a Healthcare Culture that Thrives in Chaos. Kindle is available now. Hardcover and paperback are coming out on the 15th of February. Yeah. And uh, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, uh, maybe about a speaking engagement or something like that, uh, what's the best contact information? So if you just go to my website, coreyjenks.com, uh, that's C-O-R-Y-J-E-N-K-S. Yeah, my parents were cheap. They didn't buy a vowel in Corey. There's no <laughs> E. So it's just uh, uh, coreyjenks.com. Uh, or if you, uh, from there, you can find all of my social medias. You can find my, uh, you can email me from there. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'd love to follow up with anyone that heard this and was like, you're interesting. I want to, I want to learn more. Uh, I'm happy to do that as well. So, and I really appreciate, I want to thank you for having me on as well. Thank you for taking a shot on this weird guy that does pharmacy and comedy uh, and checking out my book too. <laughs> well, if you're friends with Tim, friends with me. All okay. right. Awesome. <laughs> well, thanks for being on the pharmacy residency podcast. Thank you. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Again, if you need help, residency.teachable.com or if you want to talk to me directly, tonythepharmacist at gmail.com.